0: Good morning, this is Marshall Davis. I'm recording this outside. So if you hear some noises from the traffic or birds or animals, that's what it is. Last time I started the section of the Sermon on the Mount that deals with spiritual practices, but I only got as far as almsgiving and prayer. I did not even get all the way through prayer. That's because I want to devote a whole episode to Jesus's model prayer that is usually called the Lord's Prayer because it holds such an important place in Christian tradition. So today I'm giving a non-dual interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. As mentioned last time, Jesus mainly gives this prayer as an example of his teaching that prayer ought to be brief. So it's about brevity in prayer. It's not the, the greatest prayer that Jesus offers in the Gospels. In my opinion, that honor would go to his Gethsemane prayer recorded in the 17th chapter of John's Gospel, which is the longest prayer of Jesus in the Bible and the most explicitly non-dual. In that prayer, Jesus prays that we might know oneness with God as he knows oneness with God. The Lord's Prayer, on the other hand, is not explicitly non-dual. At first reading, it actually sounds very dualistic. Jesus addresses his Father in heaven, implying a distance between him and God. He prays for the Father's kingdom to come as if it weren't already present. He asks for forgiveness from God, which presupposes he's separated from God by sin. Now that implication here is a stumbling block for traditional christians who consider jesus sinless and that was why interpreters find a way around this Why would jesus actually praying of course by saying he really wasn't praying for himself for forgiveness but he was just modeling a prayer for his sinful disciples to pray that seems disingenuous to me nowhere does jesus say or imply that he is sinless. But that's a subject for another talk. At the end of the prayer, Jesus also mentions the evil one, which is the epitome of dualism. So there seems to be a lot of dualism in the Lord's prayer, as opposed to the non-dualism of the Gethsemane prayer. Now, why is this? Why would Jesus offer a prayer like this? Well, for one thing, in Gethsemane, he's praying privately. At the end of his ministry in the Lord's Prayer, he is teaching publicly, teaching a crowd at the very beginning of his ministry. And like all preachers, he knew that you have to preach to people where they are. I learned this firsthand after this non-dual shift in awareness that happened 11 years ago. At first, I said nothing about it because I did not have the words, the vocabulary, to talk about it. When I finally found the words to describe the indescribable some weeks later, then I tried to communicate it in sermons. But I got a a lot of blank stares from my congregation. So after trying different ways of talking about it directly, I learned it was best to present this message in smaller doses. So I would pepper my sermons with stories and metaphors that pointed to non-duality. And I found out that worked a lot better. I think Jesus was doing the, the same sort of thing when he was teaching in parables. And the Gospels would say that Jesus would teach the people in parables. And then he would explain to his disciples privately what he was talking about. When I preach from the pulpit these days, I speak differently than I do in these recorded episodes. I use different language. I speak much more directly in this. In sermons, I use traditional Christian terminology. And I show how it can point beyond itself to the oneness of God and our oneness with God. And I think that's what Jesus is doing in the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer uses dualistic language, but points beyond it, to non-dual reality. So let's interpret the text here. Begins the prayer addressing our Father in heaven, our Father who art in heaven. Now that sounds dualistic, as if he were separate from God and God was way up there in the sky somewhere. But we need to interpret this in light of Jesus' statement elsewhere, where he says, I and the Father are one. It is not mean when he says that, simply one in purpose, as some interpreters say. Elsewhere, he clearly says, the words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me. In John's Gospel, here Jesus clearly communicating a non-dual understanding of himself and the Father. Matthew's Gospel, which includes the Sermon on the Mount, is more dualistic, even though even here in this Lord's Prayer he's trying to bring God closer by use of the term Father rather, rather than the more common terms for God that would have been used for, by Jews for God in those days. To address God as Father was revolutionary in his time. It's in the Old Testament, but it's very seldom used. And Jesus even goes so far as to use the word Abba, which is an even more intimate term for God. Also, heavenly does not mean way off in space somewhere. It simply means spiritual. It's not some physical place up in the sky beyond the clouds. Heaven is the spiritual dimension here and now. Jesus says... That the kingdom of heaven is within you. That's how close God is, closer than our juggler vein, the Quran says. So Jesus is addressing a spiritual God that he feels intimately connected to. And elsewhere says he's actually one with the Father in him and him in the Father. That is non-dual. So he uses dualistic language of Heavenly Father to point to non-dual reality. And then he says, Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means holy or sacred. Now, those who interpret this in a dualistic fashion stress a separation between holy and unholy, sacred and profane, clean and unclean, God and human. It's a very dualistic way of coming at it. There's another way to look at the word holy. The English word holy comes from the Greek word halos, which means whole or one. We get the word holistic from it. Yet, the Greek word used in the Lord's Prayer here is not halos, but hagios, which means to purify or cleanse. One could interpret this dualistically, to mean to to purify from evil and uncleanness and the profane and all that. That is the approach that the Pharisees took. They separated themselves from people that they considered to be unclean or sinful, for evil. That's a dualistic approach. Jesus did not do that. But you could also interpret this word, hagios, in a non-dual manner. Hagios is not what separates us from God, but what unites us to God. For example, hagios is the Apostle Paul's favorite term for followers of Jesus. We are hagios, usually translated saints. Now, that does not mean that we are spiritual superheroes. It means that we are holy, as God is holy. We are one with the holy God. And knowing that union sanctifies us, purifies us, our sight is purified, we begin to see as God sees in spiritual awakening what appeared to be many is seen as one, whole. Who becomes one. It's also the theme of the next line. Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is explicitly talking about heaven and earth becoming one. We see this vision also in the book of Revelation. Where in the final chapters, uh, heaven and earth are united. Now looking at this dualistically... This can be seen as the kingdom of God coming to earth. But if the kingdom of God is already here within us, as and all around us, as Jesus said, then the kingdom of God has already come. As Revelation says, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our God. It is simply a matter of seeing this reality one now. And when one sees this, then one sees that everything that happens is God's will. God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That is a non-dual perspective. That that changes how we pray. When all of humanity sees this, then a, a shift of cosmic proportion happens. Then the kingdom of God is realized, although in actuality, it's always been the case. In the meantime, until everyone sees the kingdom of God, non-dual reality, we carry on as usual, eating our daily bread. Chop wood, carry water, as Zen says. Give us this day our daily bread. Whether one sees the kingdom of God is present here and now, or to come someday in the future, we still need to eat. Jesus' phrase daily bread is a reference to the man in the wilderness, in the Hebrew scriptures. You may remember how God provided the Hebrews with miraculous bread from heaven for 40 years as they were wandering in the wilderness. Every morning, the Hebrews went out and gathered this manna from heaven. The key element of the story is that they had to pick it every day. It was daily bread. If they tried to store it until the next day, it would spoil. Daily bread. Points to living here and now and not some imagined future. Then in the prayer, we come to the verses about forgiving our debts or our trespasses or our sins, depending on the gospel and the translation. That also seems to presuppose duality until you realize what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is really to becoming one. Forgiveness breaks down barriers. Enemies reconcile. It brings us together. It unites God and humanity. And I'll Notice here, in talking about forgiveness, Jesus is nothing about sacrifices on an altar or sacrifice on a cross as a prerequisite for divine forgiveness. That was not Jesus' gospel. That was later Christianity's gospel. Jesus says that our forgiveness is dependent on us forgiving. He prays, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then Jesus goes on explicitly, right after the normal ending of the Lord's Prayer, to say this, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins as conveniently omitted from the recitation of the Lord's Prayer. This means if we live out oneness with others, then we experience oneness with God. So it's forgiveness all the way around. You can't get any more non-dual than that. Finally, at the end of the prayer, Jesus mentions the evil one. He says... Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, or more accurately, as many translations say, from the evil one. Now, Christians get bent out of shape by the the first part of this with the implication that God would ever lead us into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. It says the Pope has even changed the Lord's Prayer recently. I don't know if you heard about that. So instead of saying, lead us not into temptation, it now reads, do not let us fall into temptation. Now, I understand the theistic motivation for the change, but it's misguided. We should have left it the way Jesus had it. It undercuts the point that I just made earlier, which is that God's will is being done. Now, everything on earth, in all things, for those with eyes to see. Lastly, I've talked about evil and the evil one, the devil or Satan, in another episode entitled Satan's True Identity. So I will not repeat myself here. I will simply say that the devil is a product of dualistic thinking. And so is evil. Evil is done by those enslaved to duality. There is a greater wholeness that includes what we label as good and evil. Spiritual awakening is seeing what we might call this greater good, this holistic one, the Tao that supersedes and includes all dualities, including good and evil. The whole is seen as the divine at work. God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that's the Lord's Prayer in brief. I could say a lot more about the prayer and about each part of that, but but that's enough for today. Grace and peace to you. That is the Tao of Christ for today. Thank you for listening. You can access other episodes of this podcast at thedowofchrist.com. You can also find these podcasts in video format